So if you have never been a part of a small group, if you have never had enough time or it fit in your schedule, if maybe this is your first week with us, you are here at the right time because we are kicking off small groups this week and next week, and we want you to be a part. There is no reason not to find a time where you can get connected to a group of people that I promise you, your life will change with. And so, as we do that, I wanted to teach and kind of set up an overview lesson for what we're studying in small groups this year. In small group this year, we are not studying a book of the Bible like we have done in the past. We instead are studying the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to help you out for just a second. Most of us want to say fruits of the Spirit, all right, because there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, okay? Also, people like to say revelations, okay? But that's not how it is either. So just to make sure you sound good in small group, we are talking about this semester, the fruit of the Spirit, all right? Singular, one collective. The fruit of the Spirit is what we're going to be studying, and I am so uh, pumped about this book, not beca- because... I had the least amount to do with it. So Big Cooper and Sidney and Asher spent their time right after finals writing this curriculum, helping us understand what is a biblical view of peace. And then they ask really convicting questions that I could not have come up with. And they go, how are you living out peace? Where are you struggling to be peaceful? Who do you not live in peace with? And so this curriculum that we have for this semester, I think, is not just going to be a biblical theology lesson. It is going to be a practical theology that changes how we live. And you are going to leave weakly convicted when you don't measure up to what the Spirit wants to work in you. So that's where we're going. That's what we're going to be setting up. And so let's read in Galatians 5. That's kind of the passage that starts it off. Starting in verse 16 is this whole concept around the fruit of the Spirit. So starting in verse 16, here we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Get these. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions desires. Let me pray as we unpack that scripture. Spirit of the living God, speak clearly today. Convict, compel, correct, combat. Lord, show us how we ought to live for you, how we ought to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, because we are so tempted by that flesh. 
So Lord, pierce our hearts and change our tomorrows. This is what we ask of you in your son's name. Amen. So I don't typically write three-point sermons, but that's just what we need to do this week. So that's what we're going to go for. So point one, walk by the Spirit. Verse 16, Paul starts, walk by the Spirit. I love how the New Living Translation uh, translates this. They say this, let the Holy Spirit guide you. That's a good definition of walking by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Allow him to do his work. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit is maybe the question you're asking. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity or the Godhead, right? We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the helper, as Jesus says, that is sent to, for, uh, for us to be a benefit for us when Jesus leaves the earth. The Holy Spirit is actually, in Jesus' word, better for us than for him to be among us. The Holy Spirit dwells within the life of the believer, correcting, convicting, compelling, and calling us to live lives that are pleasing to God. So, most basically, the Holy Spirit is the power of God in you, working to mold you and shape you to a life of Christ-likeness. So when Paul says, let the Holy Spirit guide you, Paul is saying, listen to that voice within you directing you to holiness. Listen to that conviction when you're stepping into sinful and fleshly desires. Listen to the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to shape and to change you as He desires. Paul uses the term walk. I think it's a fantastic way of describing what we need to the Holy Spirit to do within us. Walking is a continuous, repetitive action. Walking has movement and progress. All right? Unless you're on a treadmill, when you walk, you go from point A to point B. It may not be fast, it may not be quick, it may not be far, but it moves you. So when we are to walk by the Spirit, we are to move from where we are to where the Spirit is guiding us, is leading us, is walking us in that direction. And this is a daily choice. Right? If you were to walk anywhere for 365 days... You could probably be in a corner or crevice of this continent, anyone you wanted. The question that I have is, what if you walked by the Spirit for 365 days? What would your life look like? How would you be different? How would you be changed? Where would you be moved? How far away from that sin that so easily entangles you would you be? How far from that pit that you've always fallen into would you be if you're continuing to take a step every single day and following and letting the Holy Spirit guide you? So Paul says that there's either walking by the Spirit or walking by flesh, right? They're, they're opposed to one another. In our head, we think of there's a bunch of different options. There's different varying degrees of walking by the flesh. There's murderers, and then there's like gossips, and there's like charitable but not godly people. And so we have all of this idea in our head. That's not how Paul sets it up. Paul sets it up, and I'm going to use Taco Bell. I'm going to pick on them for an example, okay? I haven't been to Taco Bell since I was in third grade. All right, here's why. Because Taco Bell will tell you, well, this one's got a crunchy tortilla, and this one's got a soft tortilla. This one's got cheese under this, and this one's got cheese on top. This one has lettuce and beans and all this. At the end of the day, it's dog meat wrapped in a tortilla, right? At least that's what my mom told me, so I haven't been back. (laughs) 
that's our conceptualization. We can't say the chewy gordita crunch is so much better than the soft taco. It's the same thing. We can't say that, well, they're not walking by the Spirit, but I mean, they're a good person. No, we either walk by the Spirit, surrender to God fully, or we walk by the flesh. We, we, we can't justify this uh, fleshly walking Eugene Peterson will say, he calls it, walking by the flesh is walking in sinful self-interest. To not walk by the Spirit is to walk in a way that just serves me. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Point two, see, it's working. He says, walk by the Spirit. Point two, walk in freedom. Chapter five of Galatians opens up with the verse, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul is saying, as we walk in freedom, we, I mean, as we walk by the Spirit, we get to walk in freedom. Here's the problem, students. We only know how to abuse freedom or limit our freedoms. We don't know how to enjoy freedom. We don't know how to delight in freedom. What do I mean by abusing freedom? When we hear we're free, that means we have no responsibility, no expectation. We can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, with whoever we want. And, it, and so we step up to and over the line. You could be given 30 acres of property, and yet all you're going to want to do is cross the boundary line, right? This is how we abuse our freedom. We always want to push the envelope. We always want to creep past. We always feel uh, boxed in. Freedom is not an excuse to sin. When Paul says, walk in freedom, he's not saying go and sin. Freedom is not a, a free pass from expectation and responsibility. No. But freedom says, here, here is your playground. Here is the land I'm giving you. Enjoy it. Delight in it. It takes care of every need and every want. Enjoy. So we either abuse this freedom or we limit the freedom. See, rather than just going, oh, I can have freedom, we would rather put a fence even tighter in. Well, we are more concerned with, uh, let me see how I said it so I can say it most clearly, rather than basking in the freedom God has granted us, we are more consumed by limiting sin. And we overlook living by the Spirit and living in freedom. We grade ourselves not on do we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and do we love our neighbor as ourselves? No, we judge ourselves as Christians as, did we envy, did we covet, did we sin? Were we lustful? Were we mean? Were we angry? We don't, we don't sit in the freedom of love God and love others. No, we, we sit in this limiting theology of I've still got to earn it, and so I've got to avoid these and this and that. We are so consumed with trying to avoid sin that we have avoided living for God. And that's not okay. We have been given freedom Freedom from the Mosaic law. Not because it was bad, but because we couldn't do it and Christ has already done it for us. 
We don't have to earn our approval or our love or our place in heaven. It's already been bestowed upon us if we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ in faith in him. And yet here we are trying to just focus on earning our way every single day rather than avoiding sin. Not that avoiding sin is a bad thing. What if we tried to live for Christ? I think the two things would work together. Um, Eugene Peterson, I really like Peterson. Some people, maybe you grew up in a youth ministry that they hated on the message, okay? That's fine. I think it's a fantastic resource to come alongside and to give you commentary into what you just read. So I'm a fan of it as a resource to help you. And hear what he says about those works of the flesh. Remember we read about sexual immorality, sensuality, uh, enmity, strife, divisions, all of that. Here's what Peterson says in the message. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. He says, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. A frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket guides, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper and impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, and finally, ugly parodies of community. And he says, I could go on. This are the works of the flesh put into modern language for us. Sin is clear and easy to see, Paul says. The works of the flesh are evident. It is clear how we would live. But I also encourage you, what if you started focusing on living out the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What if your goal in life was not avoiding iniquity, but investing in others and investing your life for the sake of Christ? There's a verse, though, verse 21, that I want us to handle for a quick second. It's probably that verse that as I was reading, you got a little terrified for, and you just kind of wanted to avoid, right? It says this, I warn you as I warned you before that those of you who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And all of your hearts sank and you said, but I've done those things. What does this mean? The New Living Translation probably has the best way of rendering it. It says anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you are getting a little nervous and may be questioning your salvation as a result of that real, biblical, canonized verse. For some of you, that's called conviction. The Spirit is working in you, revealing where your life is not aligning with the expectation of holiness that God has passed down. For the others of you, it's way more than conviction. It's a damning thing. Because you read those works of the flesh and you say, I'm not willing to give those up. How do I know the difference? How do you know the difference in your life? Those who do such things is better understood as those who continually, habitually, and unrepentantly practice these things without remorse or a desire to change. If you read over that list and you just say, well, that's who I am. That's how I was made. That's my lot in life. That's the cards I was dealt. 
That's something I can't overcome. If you're unrepentant and you desire that more than you desire living out the fruit of the Spirit and living in the Spirit, then verse 21 should be haunting. But for those of us who live lives that fall and stumble into those areas yet are repentant and remorseful and are trying to combat them, we need to understand that this is the work of the Spirit within us. This is the sanctifying process. You're going to struggle with one of those in the list, I guarantee it. But is it the basic or most prevalent way that you're seen in how you live? The final point is this. Walk with faith. We are to walk by the Spirit. We are to walk in freedom, and we are to walk by faith. I'm going to ask you this question, and I, I want you to honestly consider this inside. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to combat the sinful addiction or habit or anxieties that you live with every day? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is stronger than your sin? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit can help you overcome a habit that you have practiced daily? To help you overcome an attitude that you have had for the last seven or eight years? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to combat a compulsion you have lived with and promised to stop? Do you believe that you can have complete victory over that sin? Because of the power of the Spirit. Now what I'm not saying is that you can have complete victory over sin and you can become sinless from here on out. No. Our life with sin is like a dad with his lawn. Weeds just pop up all over, right? Or maybe let's use Chuck E. Cheese. Our life with sin is like a whack-a-mole game, right? No matter the high score, we missed one. There's still another that's going to pop up. We are daily, constantly combating sin, but we can also believe that there is complete victory over this jealousy I have, over this anger I have towards my dad, over this lust I have towards this person, over this uh, sin that is so uh, deep and rooted within me. I can have victory over it. Do you believe that? Because in dwelling within you, if you are a believer, is the Spirit of God that has defeated sin and death, that has defeated Satan and hell. Do you believe that that strong Spirit actually lives and moves and breathes within you? Francis Chan, and Troy's going to bring this up at 11, wrote a book called Forgotten God. It's a really good um, resource on the Holy Spirit. And I love this line in it. He says this, If I... We're Satan, and my ultimate goal is to thwart God's kingdom. He said, one of my main strategies was I would get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. Sadly, I think that is one of the strategies that Satan employs, and it's pretty effective. Because rather than trusting in the Spirit, most of us spend our time trusting in behavior modification, that if we can just do this, that, if we can create this habit or do this, uh, every morning we will be in good shape. We can honor God and He will be pleased with us. But we have forgotten that the work of the Spirit is the power within us to overcome these things and to work these things. To convict, to combat, to compel, to correct. 
you know I got to do it, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Um, I got to use an example of our little boy Cooper. So we've talked about Big Cooper once. Now we're talking about Little Cooper now, right? Uh, our little guy, since really it started showing at three months, and since nine months old, he's now three and a half, he has nightly, or twice a day, he has to take oral medicine to combat eczema. Twice a day, he has to have lotions and creams and steroids put on his skin to combat eczema. And only by doing those do we at least keep it at bay somewhat. Yet, though we have told him, every day we have to do this, he fights it. Though we have told him, it is for your good, it will make you feel better, it won't make you itchy, you'll no longer bleed, you won't have a boo-boo and a band-aid, you won't be miserable. Do you know how he reacts every night when we have to put his cream on? He runs, he hides, he climbs, and in his worst moments, he fights us. As we try to do what will make him feel better, what will make him live better, what will be a blessing to him. Isn't that our uh, constant with sanctification? Isn't that how we combat the Spirit? The Spirit is here convicting and correcting, applying godliness to make our lives operate in ways that are for our good and for God's glory, and yet all we do is we fight against it. We run away. We avoid it. We hide from it. We, we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to it, and we say, no, I don't want to hear about that right now. It is for our good, and yet we want to sit in what is going to be painful for us. The Spirit's desire is to make us more and more like Christ and more and more honoring to God, to make us more in tune with His being and living as His people. And that is the goal of the fruit of the Spirit, right there. If we live by the Spirit, if we walk in freedom, and if we walk by faith, then the fruit of the Spirit, we will become more loving, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more gentle, more good towards others, more self-controlled. That is what the Spirit desires, and yet we say, no, I can do it on my own. No, I would rather just enjoy this. This is the whole idea of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to quote Peterson one last time. He says this, what happens, this is how I translate that verse 21. What happens when we give way to live in God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way fruit appears in an orchard. What are the fruit of the Spirit? These are the gifts of God that He grows within us like a fruit in an orchard. And so he translates love, joy, peace, and all that as affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, we develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in our heart, a conviction that basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, also able to, I mean, and able to marshal and direct energies wisely. So I urge you students, will you walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh? Will you walk in freedom, not abusing it and not limiting it, but enjoying it and delighting in it? And will you walk by faith, believing that God can, will, and wants to work for your good and for His glory? That He can overcome the sin that is taking root in your life? That He can provide complete victory over whatever sin is so pressing on you? Will you walk in this way? 
It is not a flip of the switch, but it is a long obedience in the same direction through continuous and habitual practice, walking every day towards God, because when we walk towards God, we are walking away from the sin that encumbers us. And I asked the question that I already asked early because I got a little excited and I just wanted to throw it out there. What if you walked for 365 days in one direction? You'd probably run into water, right? You're going to get to the edge pretty quick. What if for the next 365 days you were walking in the Spirit? I bet you end up pretty far from where you are right now in a good way. Let me pray for us. Lord, your word speaks truth that we cannot deny and that we desire to follow. Lord, your spirit is good and kind and faithful. Lord, your spirit is powerful. It can combat, it can change, it can convict, it can call us out of sin and into life with you. So, Lord, may we walk by the spirit for those of us who are indwelled by your Holy Spirit, may it be obvious and seen. For those of us who are not, may we come to the point of realizing that we need it more than anything else in our lives because our lives have not been changed by Jesus Christ if, our, if the Spirit of God does not dwell within us. So if you are doubting this morning, I pray that you will speak to somebody and say, I need the Spirit in me and I know He's not. But if you know I am a son or daughter of God, and I pray that you will start walking by the Spirit, walking in freedom, walking by faith, that your life will look different, that there will be movement away from sin and towards God. So Lord, lead us by your Holy Spirit. Guide us to the ways that you want to take us. Direct our paths, light our way, and make a difference in our lives not just for our sake, but for the campus around us, for the friends and the neighbors and the roommates that we have. Lord, work in through and around us by your Holy Spirit in great ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen.